Hello. Welcome to today's episode of Control Intelligence. I'm Mike Bassador, Editor-in-Chief of Control Design and your host for today's podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Tellier, who is Sales Manager at Advanced Microcontrols. Founded in 1985, Advanced Microcontrols is a U.S.-based manufacturer with a global presence. AMCI industrial control products are designed for PLC-based automation systems with specialized position sensing and motion control technology. Matt has been with the company for nearly 30 years, starting off as an applications engineer. He earned his bachelor's degree in engineering from University of Connecticut. And today, we'll be talking about motion control and position sensing. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, can you start by explaining the roles of motors, feedback sensors, drives, and controllers, you know, all, all the the basic components within a motion control system? Sure, sure. You know, uh, you know, whenever I'm in front of a group and I'm doing an introduction of what motion control uh, is all about, I really break it down into the three components, the controller, the drive, and the motor, and just kind of explain how each one of those components uh, comprises of the complete system. You know, the controller is going to be providing a signal to the drive. That signal can be something as simple as an analog signal, say zero to 10 volts for speed control. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be something like a step and direction signal that we would have in a more common system, like a, a stepper system, for example, where we're going to give it a pulse train, which is going to be relative to speed and the number of steps that it moves, and then a direction signal, which is going to just tell it which way I'm going clockwise or counterclockwise. That signal would then go to the drive. Uh, the drive then just basically creates an, uh, a current, uh, mm-hmm. an AC current like we would have right. in a servo or, or, or DC current for a stepper uh, mm-hmm. that would energize the motor. And then that, as we energize the motor, we're going to create a magnetic field within the motor uh, windings, and that magnetic field is going to cause motion. Uh, that motion can be uh, translated into a rotary application, something as simple as like, say, a rotary table. Um, or it could be linear motion, where we take that motor and attach it to something like a lead screw or a bolt screw, or even a conveyor to take that rotary motion from the motor and translate that into uh, linear mechanical motion. Um, right. And then where and then where feedback comes into play um, in the system, um, you know, oftentimes we think about encoders when we think about motors, uh, right. and that's going to give us position data. It could give us velocity data, uh, but we also have other sensors that we don't always typically think of as motion feedback sensors. That could be a home switch. Uh, Mm. It could be end limit switches, things of that nature, which tell us, you know, when we get to a certain position, we've gone too far, uh, you know, when I'm at home. Again, still feedback to the system. Um, And then uh, when it comes to a closed loop system, um, that that encoder feedback is integral in the the motion control of the whole system uh, Mm -hmm. because we're working on, you know, position feedback versus commanded position and how that motion control then turns into our actual position where we want to be and when we get there. Awesome. Well, great explanation. So building on that then with the with the sensing, what motion control applications can benefit from say position or angle sensors? Sure. You know, I, I always think about things in a practical way and I go, hey, you know what, if it could if you can have one, use one, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to position sensing, but obviously right. not everything needs one. 
-hmm. uh, you know, a, a lot of stepper applications run open loop, you know, uh, simple DC br uh, brush motors will run uh, open loop. Um, but I tell people, even if it's a system that can run open loop, um, if you need something like a little bit more precision in your motion, whether it's relative to positioning or speed, you, you might want to add feedback there just so you can verify when you commanded it to go to a specific place, did it actually get there? Um, is it going the correct speed that I'm commanding it? Those types of things um, is where you would want to have uh, position feedback. Uh, I, I think of an application that I talked about many, many years ago with someone and they had a gate and it was opening and closing. And the only okay. feedback they had to the system were end limits. And hmm. every so often the end limits would, they would the, the door would swing past the end limit, the end limit wouldn't toggle. So the door would just keep going until it slammed into a wall. Uh, <laughs> you know, you think about something like that by adding, right. uh, by adding an encoder, they now knew exactly where they were throughout that entire motion. And mm -hmm. then they could also say, okay, I know exactly where I am. If I'm, if I'm getting no signal, I know I have a problem with my feedback. So let's fix the problem that we have and get our system up and running correctly. Right. Yeah. Great example. So switching gears a little bit here. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about pulse width modulation. How does PWM affect motor speed? Sure. So when we're when we're talking about um, pulse width modulation in in this discussion, uh, I'm thinking about it being you used with say a DC motor. You know, right. a DC motor we think of it as being full on, full off. You know, it's either running at zero speed or full speed. Say it's a 12 volt DC. What we can do with pulse width modulation is basically just vary the duty cycle of that voltage we're using to power the motor. So instead of being full 12 volts or uh, zero volts, 100% of the time or 0% of the time, we can say, okay, turn the, the uh, voltage on 12 volts for say 50% of the time off or 50% of the time. And we're gonna get say half the speed, or we could say, turn it off, turn it on 20% of the time off 80% of the time and go even slower. So basically what we're doing is we're creating almost like an averaging uh, of that voltage by, by switching that current on and off um, mm -hmm. at, a, at a relatively high frequency, say two kilohertz or something of that nature. And now we can vary the speed by varying that duty cycle uh, through pulse width modulation. Awesome, great explanation. So the next question, I mean, with this, you could go very deep into the weeds, obviously, but- Right, right. Can, yeah, do you wanna talk a little bit about servos, steppers, brush, brushless motors? What what are the different features that kind of differentiate one from the other without without going too in depth? <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, exactly. So let's start with a the more basic one and, and start with a brush motor. With a brush motor, we're basically just sending a voltage uh, through the commutation winding of that motor. Um, and with a brush motor, the magnets are on the uh, on the stator of the uh, of the motor, and and the uh, the windings that are energized are the rotor, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we energize those windings, we create a magnetic field. Uh, right. It's going to alternate the, um, you know, it's going to cause motion of that rotor as the magnets in the stator and the windings of the rotor align. Um, and then as we start to rotate, the commutation voltage changes from one winding to the next, and we just get continuous motion that way. Mm -hmm. um, with, with a brushless motor, we've now eliminated those brushes but now we have to come up with a way to uh, control the current that's going through the windings. Uh, and with a brushless motor, instead of the windings being energized of the rotor, we now have the magnets within the rotor 
and then the stator is what gets energized. Mm -hmm. um, and then by varying the, the, um, the current, whether it's an AC signal in a servo, uh, you know, we have three different phases in there. We energize them a, a little bit out of phase from each other. And mm -hmm. by, by uh, varying the frequency of that signal or the voltage level of that signal, we can increase the torque and change the speed uh, of right. the motor. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a basic concept between, behind a, a brushless and, and brush motor. Uh, when it comes to steppers and servos, there's a little bit more going on there as far as how they're constructed uh, relative to the number of poles that are in the windings of the motor. Mm -hmm. um, but with a stepper, basically, we're running that using a DC current to generate our magnetic field and mm -hmm. then toggling off and on between two different windings called the A phase and B phase right. uh, to generate that magnetic field to generate motion. Um, with a servo, uh, we have uh, three different phases of voltage, that AC voltage, mm -hmm. uh, that we're sending through those uh, windings to generate motion. Uh, because it's an AC signal, uh, and we have to kind of make sure that we have alignment between the phases and those voltages that we're, uh, we're putting through the windings of the servo, we have mm -hmm. to have some sort of feedback. Uh, in, in its most basic sense, we would have, say, three Hall effect sensors in there. So that way we can make sure that the voltages uh, stay within phase of each other. Mm -hmm. um, more sophisticated systems have encoder feedback um, to get us a little bit more precision. Um, but right. basically that kind of is that, that feedback is really what makes it become a closed loop system. Mm -hmm. Great. I was watching, listening to you thinking he's going down that rabbit hole. Here we go, but you stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great, yeah. Great, great explanations on all of them. So st sticking with servo motors, then uh, how do functions like dual port networking, safe torque off and uh, built in move verification, make those more amenable to uh, integration? Sure. Well, a lot of times when we're doing uh, motion, especially more sophisticated motion, uh, precision as far as positioning is concerned, uh, torque, uh, torque control is concerned, mm -hmm. uh, speed, all of that stuff, uh, because of that closed loop nature of a servo system, it really makes it uh, an ideal choice for those more sophisticated motion profiles. Uh, then when we start adding functions like, say, safe torque off, really what we're doing is we're just adding an additional feature to make uh, the servo uh, a little bit more part of the system. So, for example, with safe torque off, I can disable a motor so I can do things like, say, maybe do some sort of setup operation so motion cannot occur in, in that part of the system. Right. Um, and and it's that integration into the overall machine control mm -hmm. that takes that feature like safe torque off. Um, and then when we talk about the networking, mm -hmm. networking is just going to make make it easier for me to get into my control system. And because I'm using a network instead of say a dedicated controller that's within say a PLC, mm -hmm. it gives it a little bit more flexibility because now I can take that same control solution using networking. And I can use it with various different control brands. You know, I'm not I'm not stuck with one controller type. I can take mm -hmm. it to, uh, say, a Siemens PLC or a Rockwell PLC or a right. Siemens PLC, depending upon the network protocol that I'm talking with. Um, mm -hmm. So it makes it a little bit more flexible as well in that manner. Right. So kind of building on that, then, what, what are the advantages of connecting a servo motor to, to a PLC versus a dedicated servo controller? Oh, sure. So, you know, most 
control systems now, um, especially uh, on the factory floor, has some sort of centralized control on the machine. Mm -hmm. um, if I have a dedicated control solution, say a standalone servo drive uh, handling some motion, I have to have a separate HMI or user's interface to make modifications to the motion if that's necessary. Right. Um, or I have to bring out my PC when I need to make changes external mm -hmm. to this, the overall centralized machine control. By making it where it can integrate directly into the PLC, that same PLC that's controlling everything can mm -hmm. now control the motion profile. So the, the operator, if they have to make a change to the overall system, that overall system change can also affect the motion as required for, say, a setup change. So that's really where having that integration comes into play. It just kind of helps eliminate uh, you know, separate interfaces and helps kind of simplify the overall control scheme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make per makes perfect sense. So uh, one final question for you then. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about decentralized versus centralized motion control. Can you talk a little sure. bit about the advantages or disadvantages of each? Sure. Uh, you know, you know, we 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 here at AMCI like to centralize everything. Um, you know, through the PLC, through a network interface, uh, and and the benefits are just as I explained that hey, hey, I, operator can go over there, push a button, and it affects everything on the machine. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not always necessary. And sometimes right. it's not always practical or possible. Uh, sometimes I just don't have enough cabinet space to have everything in one enclosure. Mm -hmm. So I have to maybe put something out separate on the machine somewhere else. Or maybe I have a piece of equipment that comes in different stages, so to speak. You know, stage A, stage B, uh, stage C. Okay. And, you know, maybe function B is only needed 40% of the time. So I, I actually remove that stage from the system and push A and C together. If everything's centralized, removing that B portion can sometimes be a little bit more difficult. So mm. decentralization, you know, can help reduce cabinet space, uh, reduce overall system wiring, because now instead of running all of this control signals back to a central cabinet, I keep everything dedicated to a decentralized location, um, you know, on the machine. Um, but then I can always have part of that decentralization. I could always have some sort of network protocol like an IO link uh, or, or an Ethernet type network uh, yes. that still allows me some basic communication back to the PLC uh, for some sort of you know information sharing things of that nature right I, you know I, I said that was going to be the last question but you just made me think of um, with with cabinet space you know obviously the, mm -hmm. the, the cabinet space is at such a premium are you seeing any any customers who are looking for components that are, you know, IP67 or 69 that, that can come out of the cabinet, you know, reduce that footprint and then sure. be placed on the machine? Is, is I mean, is that a trend that you're seeing more of or is that just pretty common? It's it's really a big part of what we do here at AMCI every day. Yeah. Um, we, we started probably 15 years ago taking, as I talked about earlier, the classic motion system drive motor and control and putting right. everything in one and putting everything in one package. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we now took the drive and the control out of the cabinet and put it in the motor, which now mounts out on the machine. Right. Uh, and by doing that, we could, especially for multi-access applications, we can mm -hmm. help reduce cabinet space. Uh, we can reduce cabinet heating by taking the drive out of the cabinet. Right. And now, yeah. now, you know, air handling can be different within the cabinet. Absolutely. Um, 
and and it helps reduce wiring because now instead of running you know encoder cables motor cables right. 30 40 50 feet along the length of a motor i now run one power cord could be say 24 volt dc or 48 volt dc and a network cable and that's mm -hmm. all i have to do um, sure. and and with the dual port networking that we offer mm -hmm. i only run one network cable and can daisy chain uh several several motion axes together uh or even do uh you know some of the, the uh, network integrity systems uh like uh, dlr for example mm -hmm. okay. uh, with the dual port networking so right. um but yeah we, we see a lot of that everything's gone that way um a lot of our encoder position feedback uh traditionally we were a resolver manufacturer with plug-in mm -hmm. modules and mm -hmm. we take that resolver and plug into the plc now all of that can be done within the encoder using an ethernet ip connection so again reduce right. cabinet space reduce the number of slots required in a plc module so yeah that that condensing that cost reduction that everyone's looking for right. uh, can done can be done really well using uh network sure technology. yeah and we just and like you said, too, the thermal management portion is, I mean, that's a big part with the energy efficiency as well. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and your expertise. And I really, well, really appreciate your sharing your insights into motion control and position sensors. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. And uh, next time you need some some more information on motion control, feel free to reach back out. Yeah, well, and it sounds like uh, we should have a few more conversations. Just there, there are so many other things you talked about that just like that last question just sparked more more questions in my mind. So I, I, I have a hunch we'll be talking again. So thank you Great. to uh, Matt. Thanks to all our listeners for joining us on Control Intelligence, the podcast for Control Design Magazine. Thanks once again to my guest, Advanced Microcontrols, Matt Tellier. If you've enjoyed this episode of Control Intelligence, don't miss our older episodes and be sure to subscribe to find new podcasts in the future. You can find our podcast library at controldesign.com or download all episodes via Apple Podcasts or Google Play.